0: Coming to you from the slightly less muddy shores of the Arkansas River with slightly less muddy audio, it's Corona Apocalypse 2020, your audio acuity for the viral age. Here we are at Wednesday, March the 25th, episode 5. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray, and Wednesday's too. I'm here to tell you that coronavirus ain't no flu. That's right, this is the episode where I talk about the myths and misconceptions of of COVID 19. There's a lot of them out there, and a lot of people are believing some strange stuff. And I'll cover the expansion of these shelter at home policies across the US and why Oklahoma may be doing it wrong. So stick around while I set them straight and drop you some knowledge. I'm in such a- There are now over 450,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus worldwide, a number that is almost exactly double what it was five days ago. 60,000 of those cases are in the United States, which at some point on Wednesday bypassed Italy to have the second most active cases in the world. And New York continues to make up nearly half of those cases where since Sunday 8 p.m. they have been on pause. It's not a stay-at-home. It's not shelter-at-home. It's like Governor Andrew Cuomo hit the pause button and everyone just freezes. That's probably not what's going on. But since Sunday, 12 more states have added some form of shelter-at-home, stay-at-home to bring the total up to 17 now or half the U.S. population under this sort of restrictive orders. Most of these stay-at-home orders follow the same general guidelines closing non-essential businesses, and asking citizens to stay at home except for necessary reasons to leave. Various states have taken their own approaches to implement the policies. In Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers issued their version of shelter at home called Safer at Home that specified that all persons may leave their homes or residence only for good reasons. It went into effect on wednesday and runs through april 24th unless superseded and included an enforcement provision that violations of the orders could be enforced by law officers with a 250 dollars fine or up to 30 days in jail in hawaii governor david Ige's mandatory stay-at-home order went into effect on wednesday and will run through april 30th and includes beefed up enforcement provisions, which make it a misdemeanor to ignore the executive order with fines up to $5,000 and a year in jail. Fortunately, swimming and surfing is still allowed as long as those Barnes, Groms, Jakes, Quimby's, and Wave Hogs stay at least six feet away from each other. Likewise, Delaware's Governor John Carney issued their own order to stay at home starting from Tuesday up through May 15th. That's the longest so far. And into this patchwork of policies comes Oklahoma, where also on Tuesday, under pressure from state medical groups, Governor Stitt issued their own version of safer at home. And unlike every other state, it only applied to what were considered the vulnerable populations, the elderly and those with compromised immune systems. Today, I am issuing a safer at home order requiring all vulnerable populations to stay at home until April 30th, except for essential travel such as going to the grocery store or going to the pharmacy. Effective at midnight tonight, I'm issuing an executive order restricting any gatherings of 10 or more people all across our state. And yet the critical part of closing non-essential businesses that might also act as infection points only applied to the, at that time, 19 counties that had shown positive coronavirus results. Now, Oklahoma has 77 counties, and this only applied to 19 of them, and yet in the one day since it was announced, the number of confirmed cases has gone up over 35% to 164, and now is in 27 counties. This is where it becomes problematic. Do each of those counties then have to individually issue their own orders as new cases are found. Clearly, this is a mess and it could have been solved by just having a blanket order that covered the entire state. Worse, however, are some states that have, as of yet, not enacted any statewide policy at all. We're talking about some of the major ones. Texas, Florida where the governors have left it up to the counties or cities to enact their own policies. And what we'll see in the coming weeks is the weaknesses of this division between the federal orders and the state and county orders in providing clear direction to people about how they're supposed to function and how we're expected to reduce the infectious rate when a good number of people are not following the same policies. So as I promised, I'm going to talk about some of the myths and misconceptions about COVID-19. But I have to admit, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole when I was investigating this, in particular because of one very big, overwhelming conspiracy theory that's been floating around that I'll talk about momentarily, but let me get some of the basic ones out of the way. First off is a common one you hear from a lot of people. It's just like the flu and thousands of people die from the flu every year. So why aren't we treating it the same? This misconception, unfortunately, continues to spread and it's found purchase among people who listen to, shall we say, the non-mainstream news. And unfortunately, It's got some relevance in that you can compare symptoms and you can compare outcomes. But the difference is that this novel coronavirus, which entirely different from the influenza, has some very different characteristics. It's very slow to incubate. It can be totally asymptomatic. And I'm gonna talk about that more later, which makes it very easy to pass on, very contagious and dangerous for a very select group of people, which to be honest, are going to be people that are going to have bad reactions to the flu But we have vaccines for the flu. We have treatments for the flu. We do not have any of those yet for COVID-19. Another one that you hear a lot is that you're not contagious until you show symptoms. And again, this is one misconception that has been spread by official channels even. And all indications are that those that are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic before they have even shown the contagion as an illness can actually pass it on to others research is still ongoing obviously as this continues to develop multiple teams have looked at various populations to figure out just how many people might be walking around without showing signs of infection a march 20th article in the science magazine nature described the work of researchers in china and america to model these non-symptomatic covid 19 infections among a population According to the researchers, at least 59% of infected individuals were out and about, quote, without being tested and potentially infecting others. Another research team from Japan looked at the population of 565 Japanese citizens who were evacuated from Wuhan in February and then subsequently monitored. Eventually, 13 of those were found to have been infected with coronavirus four of which, or about 30%, showed no signs of infection. Perhaps the most interesting, as reported on by BuzzFeed, has been going on in Iceland, where mass testing of the small island's general population has been taking place. And the data has been showing some interesting results. Most of all, half of those getting positive results were showing no symptoms at all. At this point, Iceland has nearly 740 cases for its population of 360,000, which, adjusted for its size, is 10 times as many as are being found currently in the United States. Or, to put it another way, there would need to be 600,000 confirmed cases in the United States to match the levels being seen now in Iceland. So there are lots of other misconceptions and myths that surround COVID-19, but I'm afraid I'm going to run out of time before I get to the biggest one, the one that really we should be talking about, the conspiracy theory about the origin of the virus itself. There are two strains of this particular conspiracy theory. One that posits that COVID-19 was made in a lab, genetically engineered, that it was intended to be a bioweapon or that it was intended as population control. Any of these variations we can discount unreservedly. For one, the genome of the virus was shared openly and has been reviewed by multiple institutions and organizations who have seen nothing in it to indicate that it was engineered. But moreover, it makes no sense as a bioweapon. It's neither deadly enough nor fast acting enough to impact a population quickly, which would be the point of a biological weapon. So let's take a look at the second strain of the conspiracy theory, which proposes that the virus was an accidental release from a lab. Now, this theory was most widely promoted by a Stephen Mosher who wrote an article in the New York Post under the headline, Don't Buy China's Story, The Coronavirus May Have Leaked From a Lab. That pretty much says it right there. Now, what are Stephen Mosher's credentials? Well, he had studied as an anthropologist in the 1970s and had been expelled from Stanford University. Subsequently, he became the president of the Population Research Institute, an organization whose primary mission is to counter population control. But what is it that Mr. Mosher claims? Well, he seems to indicate that There is an Institute of Virology in Wuhan that this virus may have actually originated from and somehow escaped from that lab. Well, it is true. There is a Wuhan Institute of Virology, a level four facility for bio research, which is about nine miles from the market, the seafood market, that the earliest cases were said to be connected to. But should it be at all surprising that Wuhan, a city of over 11 million people, would be the home of multiple research institutions? And likewise, the Chinese military's top epidemiologist and virologist, Dr. Chen Wai, had been dispatched to the institute to take over the research into a vaccine. Masher, however, looks at this in a sinister light, as though Dr. Chen were sent, as he puts it, to put the genie back in the bottle. This line of conspiracy thinking has been picked up by others, notably Republican Senator from Arkansas, Tom Cotton, who now continuously refers to COVID-19 as the China virus. I wonder where he could have gotten that from. Unfortunately, because we don't yet have a direct origin story for this particular pathogen, it's harder to discount the possibility that it was in a lab at one point. But whether it was found in the wild and cultured in a lab or crossed over from bat species to pangolin or snakes to humans, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, this is among the population and has to be dealt with. So it's no use to be pointing fingers. It makes more sense to be spending that time figuring out how to overcome it. And that's the thought that I'm going to leave you with. Remember while you're stuck in safer-at-home isolation, quarantined from your non-essential job, to take some time and think about how much worse it could be. I mean, we don't have any fast-moving zombies or vampires to deal with, and you can binge that entire season of Tiger King without feeling guilty. Hey, guys. So that was episode five. I hope you were able to stick through it. I know it might not have been as exciting as some of the previous ones, but why don't you leave me a message and tell me how I can be doing this better? Go to anchor.fm slash COVID-19 slash message. And who knows, I might put it into a future episode if I can summon up the will to continue to do this after watching every episode of Tiger King.